May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. We continue in our sermon series on the book of Acts, and we come here to Acts chapter 4, and that last verse we just heard read, wow, if you want to swim against the stream of our culture, just walk around saying Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, right? That salvation is found in no one else besides Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we are saved. Wow, that really runs antithetical to our culture. It is different from what we hear. It's different from the spirit of the day. Certainly, you are familiar with the claims of our culture, with what our culture tells us, right? If you listen to the culture, we're hearing things like, you should not say that your way is the only way, that you have the one true religion. Folks will say, it's arrogant to say Jesus is the only way. It's closed-minded. It's intolerant. That you can believe in Jesus, people will say, but just don't say he's the only way or that Jesus is better than other ways. Folks say to us, you've got to get with the times, right? Your neighbors are Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist, some of them agnostic or atheist, and if we're going to get along together then we've got to say that all beliefs are equally as good, and then we can have peace and get along with one another. And to say anything otherwise is prideful and arrogant and closed-minded and narrow and intolerant, and those kind of views are what lead to division and hate, to whoever is in power and claims to have the truth, claiming to have the truth is just a power grab, And whoever has the truth oppresses everyone. Those are the kinds of claims that we hear in our culture, don't we? You hear in the movies that we watch. If you watch TV, any kind of TV, the news has that kind of a a presupposition. Uh, A 30-minute sitcom, an hour-long drama, award shows like the Emmys, if you watched it lately. This is certainly the claim of our day. If you live and move and find yourself on the college campus, that is the view of the day on the college campus, no doubt. And in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, as you talk to people, this is the spirit of our age. And that might be what you believe as you come in here today, that that what I've just outlined is kind of where you are. And if so, I am glad you are here. Thank you for being here. I would love to talk with you about that. In fact, we're going to talk about that some today. In fact, some preliminary thoughts I have as I go. Sometimes I think of as having one going off to college soon. I think about this, uh, these views that are out there. And so for my own children at home, for my flock here at the church, I, I want you to walk away today just with a sense of not being afraid of these kinds of arguments that people articulate in our culture. In fact, it's really been my prayer is that we would seek to have this kind of dialogue with the people around us. We want people to get to a place that they feel comfortable saying this to us so that we can have a conversation. And if somebody says these things around you, I would encourage you, ask lots of questions, right? Ask, why is only one way bad? And folks are going to talk about that's exclusive. We don't want to be exclusive. We want to be inclusive. Ask questions like, well, why is it bad to be exclusive? 
And folks will talk about when there's any one way that has the way, then some people feel superior and they view other people as inferior. And that was what leads to division and hate that we're seeing in our country today. And so ask questions, get people to talk, be sure you understand what they're saying. Repeat back to them what they were saying, just to be sure that you understand. Listen to what people say. Listen to their hearts. That's really important, not, not only just to have a good conversation, to be good, a good conversationalist, but as we hear the desires in people's hearts, I promise you, the deepest desires of their hearts are going to be fulfilled in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to listen to what their desires are to be able to make those connections for them. So it's important. Look, seek to have these dialogues. Don't be afraid of them. Build relationships with people so that you can. Ask lots of questions. Listen. And then when the conversation is right, when the time is right, this might not all be in one conversation. I've got three things that I'm recommended that you say here from the text, okay? So if you're following on your outline, I've talked about the claims of our culture and those preliminary thoughts. You know, ask questions, listen, listen to people's hearts, hear their hearts. And then somewhere in this dialogue, in this conversation, maybe we're a series of conversations. Number one, at some point, we as Christians have to say kindly, respectfully, we have to say, I have a problem with your view. I have a problem with your view. And here's my problem, is Jesus can't be equal with other religious leaders. You know, what I, what I believe about Jesus can't be equal. Jesus, he just can't be equal with other leaders. Because of things like Acts 4 and verse 12, salvation's found in no one else. And folks will say, well, those are his followers after him. And then we have to say, no, 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 Jesus said that, right? John 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, (laughs) the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whoa, Jesus, that's a really exclusive claim. Yes, it is. And so we have to say to people nicely, respectfully, the historical Jesus of the Bible does not claim to be equal to other leaders. He just, he doesn't. There are other places that he claims divinity. But John 14, 6 is an easy one to look at. He is making a very exclusive claim. And so we have to say, I have a problem with you. And here's the problem. I can't just hold all religious leaders equally. Just logically, let's think about it together, right? If Jesus is not the only way to God, then he has to be less than other religious leaders, right? Because he claimed to be the only way to God, And if he is not the only way to God, then he's not equal. He is less than because he was wrong about some big claims that he made about himself. So if he is not the only way to God, I don't hold him as equal. I hold him as less than other leaders who didn't claim to be the only way, right? Because he had error. He was wrong. If he's not the only way, then Jesus was wrong about something, and he would be less than other religious leaders. But... (laughs) If Jesus is the only way to God, then he is greater than all religious leaders. He's more important than he is the way to be saved, right? And one of those two things has to be true. He is the only way to God or he's not the only way to God. 
So the one thing Jesus can't be is equal to all others, right? He can't be. He's either right and he's greater or he's wrong and he's less than. But that's my my problem with your view is I can't just say Jesus is equal to all other leaders. Unless you are asking me to believe in some Jesus of our own making that is not the historical Jesus of the Bible. And I'm not willing to go there. Because if I believe in the historical Jesus of the Bible, I have to believe he's the only way. And that's not my arrogance. That's not my pride. I'm just believing and restating what Jesus said and what the early church said very consistently. And, of course, as we say that, people are going to say, well, there have been people who are arrogant about that. Maybe they'll compliment you. I love the way you're talking about this, and we can have a dialogue. You're not being rude. Some people have been. And we just have to own that and say, yeah, those people are jerks. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, they may be Christian brothers and sisters, but they didn't handle things the right way. And we sure don't want to be arrogant and prideful as we talk about these things. We'll talk about how this should lead to humility in us in just a moment. You may talk about humility. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, okay? But the first thing we have to say is I have a problem with your view, right? Jesus is not, he's either greater than or less than. He's not equal Two, that's one problem we have with a view. Maybe in the same conversation, maybe in a different one. We're going to say number two. You have a problem with your view. <laughs> you have a couple of problems with your view. Well, what is that? What would, my, you know, what would their problem be? What's the culture's problem with their view? Well, it's not quite as open-minded and tolerant and as inclusive as folks want to make it sound, Right? It feels open-minded and tolerant and inclusive to say that we're not going to say any way is the only way, that, it's, that there's not going to be one way that's the one true religion. We're not going to say that one group of people has some universal truth claims that apply to all people in all places. We're not going to say that. But, of course, you see the problem with that, right? <laughs> to say that no one can make a universal truth claim is itself a universal truth claim, right? You're saying there's one view that everybody has to have, that everything's equal, that nothing's better than another. And so it sounds open-minded and tolerant, but, it, but it's, real, it's really still pretty exclusive, right? You're still saying that there's one way everybody has to recognize is true. There's one thing everybody has to agree on if we're going to have peace in our society, And when you impose that view on everyone, how is that any less oppressive than what I do when I say Jesus is the only way? It's still one view that we're saying everybody has to bow the knee to. If all truth claims are power grabs, (laughs) you're making one too, right? So that's a problem that the culture has with its view. And we want to say that nicely. We want to say that kindly. But we have to say, look, you're still making a truth claim as well. And then what typically happens in conversations, if you talk to people, is they typically say, well, here's why my truth claim is better than your truth claim. It's better to be inclusive and to say everybody's equal because it leads to this peace and tolerance. And your way just has a bad track record, right? That's generally what begins to happen at this point. But first of all, before we move on and get in the line by line, just, just notice what we've just done. We have just gotten into a discussion about whose truth claim is better. Right? We're not saying there's no truth anymore. Right? We've moved past this postmodern idea that there's no truth. Now, folks want to have a discussion about whose truth claim is better. Hey, that's, please throw me in the briar patch, right? That's where we live. 
Of course we think our truth claim is better. Of course the gospel is better. Of course the, that story of all things being created good and that things being broken and messed up because of our rebellion and God intervening to make all things right and a day coming is going to make all things new. Yes, I want to talk about that compared to any other view of the world. I want to talk about where my hope is as opposed to where other people put their hope. We're right at that point where we want to be. And then we have to say, maybe in the same conversation, maybe in a different one. You know, you really have another problem with your truth claim. If the one universal truth that you push is that there are no universal moral absolutes, then how do you say anything is wrong in the world? Except for intolerance, that's the one sin we would say in the church. That's the one thing that's wrong the culture would condemn is intolerance. But other than that, what can you really say is wrong? I mean, think about it. The same lot of analysis, take another issue. Let's, let's talk about race, racism, right? If I'm making the argument of the culture about race, if I'm going to be consistent, then what I should say is your view on race is not the only way. You can't say that you're the only one that has the truth about race. It's arrogant to say that. You need to get with the times. You have neighbors who are racist, who think their race is bigger than others. And so if you're going to be tolerant, if you're going to be open-minded, then we have to say that view is equal to all other views. And if you don't, it's going to lead to division and violence, and some people feel it's the same argument, right? How do you condemn anything or say anything is wrong except for intolerance if this is your position? And I think as Christians, we give away the moral high ground. If there's no God, then how do you say anything is wrong? Whoever has the power makes the rules, right? I was reading recently about a sociologist who was studying in rural Africa, and she got really upset because she didn't like the way the women were being treated in this group that she was studying. And and finally, she objected and said, you can't treat women this way. And you know what their answer was? Don't impose your Western values on us. That's the way y'all do things. That's not the way we do things here. And if you're a cultural relevist, if your highest value is tolerance, you don't have an answer for that. You've got to hold that as equally as value, right? Now, I think it's important for us that we relate to people and we listen to them and listen to their hearts. Because I do believe the gospel is the best answer for what they're seeking. And so I think we have to say, look, I know you're worried about whoever has the truth oppressing people. I understand that's your concern. That's my concern, too. What we need is a non-oppressive moral absolute, right? What we need is a group of people who have a truth that leads them to humility. What we need is people who have a truth that turns them into humble inclusive servants of mankind. That's what we need to keep moral truth, but to have this moral truth that turns the proponents of it into humble servants of man who want what's best for them. And at that point, right, we're right, we're right where we want to be, right? We say, may I tell you about Jesus? I love to tell the story. We sang it today, right? May I tell you what the Bible says followers of Jesus should be like? And then just start telling the story, right? Philippians chapter 2. Jesus had power. 
He, he was equal with God, but he didn't consider power with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. But he emptied himself and made him nothing, taking on the very form of a servant who was willing to give his life for people who hated him, for people who committed the biggest sin, disagreeing with his belief system, right? That he died for them, that he gave his life for them, that he was willing to actually die for people who disagree with him. And he calls his followers to what? In verse 5, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who considered equality with God something not to be grasped, right? But he emptied himself. Oh, tell the story from Philippians 2. Tell the story from 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. Jesus had the riches of heaven. He owned everything. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we through his poverty might become rich. Tell the story. How about... Mark 10, verses 42 to 45, he told his disciples, look, in the world, in the Gentiles, outside of this group, the leaders lorded over people with their authority. What did he say? Not so with you. That is not the way life is in my kingdom. Because the Son of Man came what? Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be great, Jesus said to his followers, then you've got to be the servant of all. We should be the most humble. When we start talking this way, you know what people say? Christians are not that. Christianity has not been that. They have been oppressive in the past. And you know what we have to say? You're right. We've got a horrible record on this. But I want you to know that's not how Jesus is. And that's not what he tells his followers to do in the scripture. And those folks were not biblical. And when I'm that way, I am not biblical. Please point it out to me because I don't want to be that way. I want to be the way Jesus calls me to be. And we have to say to them, listen, the heart of the biblical message, let's look at the text. Just what does it say? Verse 11, it says that Jesus was rejected. Verse 10 says that he died. Think about that. He died for people who did not believe in him. He died for people who didn't have the same beliefs as what he had. And so if the biblical Jesus is who we build our life on, we cannot hate people. We cannot insult people. We can't look down on people who don't believe like we do because we serve a king who died for people who didn't believe like he did. Oh, that we would grow the fruit of the Spirit in us. That we would be conformed to the image of Christ. God, forgive us for the times that we have sought to impose truth in ways that are inconsistent with the way Jesus lived. God, forgive us. And do you see how it it hurts the message? How it hurts the growth of the kingdom? Some of the biggest things we have to do in evangelism is apologize for what the church has done in the past for what we've done in the past, for what we've done online, for what we've said to people. Lord, help us. I've already begun saying it, but there's a third thing you eventually have to get to. We have to begin to say biblical Christianity is really what you're longing for. 
And we have to invite them. Will you look at the Bible with me? Let's not look at Christians. Let's not look at other churches. Will you look at the Bible with me? Because biblical Christianity is what you long for. You long for tolerance? (laughs) You're setting your sights way too low. If your vision for society is that we're just going to kind of grit our teeth and tolerate one another, Jesus calls his followers, Matthew 5, to love our enemies, to pray for those who oppose us. Because he make, our Heavenly Father makes the sun fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so we're to treat them and extend grace to them just the same. You want to talk about being open-minded. Look at Acts 4 right here. Do you realize who Peter's talking to? Caiaphas, the high priest. These are the men that two or three months before just voted to kill Jesus. Right? This is the same group that just voted to kill and convinced the Romans to carry it out. These are the people who killed the, the one that Peter has devoted his life to. And what is he saying to the very people who voted to kill Jesus? He is now offering salvation. And it's being offered by those who love and follow the one that they just killed. That is open-minded. To Peter's mind, these people are unrighteous murderers. And he's saying, I want to offer salvation to you. And there's no other way. This is the way it is. This is the way to be saved. You want to talk about being inclusive. Let me tell you about this group that Jesus is gathering together. People from different races, Jews and Gentiles together as family. People from different socioeconomic classes as rich people and poor people are together as a family. Former priests and former prostitutes all together in one family. Former slaves and former slave owners all together in one family. That's inclusive. You want to talk about multiculturalism? What about Revelation 5 that Carrie read for us and that we sang in that song, Is He Worthy? That Jesus is seeking and has purchased men for God from every tribe and nation and tongue and people group. And all those cultures are going to be celebrated. Read Isaiah 60 and Revelation 22 as they bring the glories of their culture into the kingdom of God in order to bring honor and glory to the king and that we will celebrate that multiculturalism. Yes, I understand. Jesus is the only way to be saved is an exclusive claim. But I got to tell you, accepting that exclusive claim turns you into the most incredibly inclusive person in the most incredibly inclusive community that you have ever seen. It should. Isn't that what the longings of our heart are? At some point, we have to deal with the question... How does Jesus transform people and communities like that? How can that happen? Maybe in your heart you're like, I don't really want tolerance and inclusion or multiculturalism. How does that change? Or somebody may ask you, how does that change take place? You know what our answer to that is? (laughs) May I tell you about the good news of the gospel? Can I tell the story again? I I see it here in the text. Do you see it? There are a lot of ways to tell the story. But looking at this text, I'd say it like this. I'd say usually our identity is built on how we perform, right? If you have an extraordinary record, then you have extraordinary confidence. 
If you have an ordinary record, you have ordinary confidence. If you have a poor record, you have very poor confidence, right? That's generally what we see. And, and everything is relative. You're like, how are my performances? I feel superior to those who are doing worse than me. I feel inferior to those who are doing better on whatever the scale is that I have. But look at this text. Look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that the men had been with Jesus. Now, why are they astonished? They're astonished because they have extraordinary courage. They're talking to the people who just two or three months ago crucified Jesus. Do you know what they could do to these men? kill them the same way they did Jesus. And they're standing here saying salvation is in no other name. I I healed this person in Jesus' name. And and that is the only hope for humanity. They just killed Jesus two or three months ago. They have the power to kill these men. They have extraordinary courage. And that's what they're, when they saw the, the courage of Peter and John, that's what astonished them, their courage. The courage they have when they're ordinary men. All of a sudden, ordinary men have extraordinary courage. That doesn't make sense, right? And they're astonished by that. And they're thinking, how these are unschooled fishermen, and they're coming in here to the Sanhedrin, and we've been educated, and we know the Scripture, and we're the priests, and we're the ones that know how religion goes. And they're coming in here telling us this with this kind of boldness and courage? What is happening? Who, who do these people think that they are? Think about the questions they were asking. By what power, what authority are you doing the things that you're doing? That's the question. That they're, they're saying, look, we've got power and authority. You don't. And they're amazed that these men would, would look them in the eye and talk to them and not just look down and mumble what they were saying. They were amazed at the courage that these ordinary men had extraordinary courage. How is that possible? How do they come in here talking about this? I'll tell you how. Because their identity was not based on their record. Peter's got a horrible... Two or three months ago, he denied that he was even involved with Jesus to some little girl around a campfire. Outside Caiaphas' house. One of his servant girls. Now he's standing in front of Caiaphas, telling him that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Oh, and by the way, you killed him. Right? Oh my, his identity is not built on his record. His record is horrible. His confidence isn't based on his record. His, his feeling of acceptance, his security is not based on his record. He's acting not based on what he has done. Watch, we're turning the corner here. He's acting based on what Jesus has done, right? We sang about it again today. Whoever picked the hymns, great job, Lee Taylor, right? My worth is not in what I've done. It's in the blood of Jesus, right? And that's what's driving these men. They are loved now because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, not because of their record. They are secure now because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and not because of their record. And because Jesus said his work was finished, you can't take those things away from them. You can't take away the love and acceptance of God. You can't take away the, the security that they have and who they are as children of the living God. You can kill them. Their life gets better. What do you do with people like that? They didn't know. They were confused here in the text, right? Oh, that we had that kind of love and confidence and security. And that enabled them to talk to their superiors in a way that you would not expect.
But watch this. <laughs> watch this. If your identity is not based on your record, your achievement, but what Jesus has done, that also means that we can't look down on anybody else with a feeling of superiority over them, right? That's why this truth is so empowering. That's why the good news of the gospel is so empowering because my identity is based on the grace of God. I deserve hell, but God saved me, and I'm no better than anybody else, so I don't look down on anyone else. There's no superiority. There's no superior and inferior. There's no insulting. There's no hatred that kills the peace. There is love for, prayer for, pity for, interceding for those who disagree with us. If you hate exclusivity, think about this. When you say, I believe all good people, I believe that good people of all beliefs can find God and can be accepted. When you say that, you're really kind of being exclusive, aren't you? You're saying good people are in and bad people are out. So in your attempt to be inclusive, you've excluded bad people. Guess what? That includes me. Oh, you're a preacher, right? That doesn't include... Look, I know my heart. I know the selfishness that is there. I know that I fall short of the glory. If you're going to exclude bad people, you're going to have to exclude me. And taking that kind of view excludes many people who, have, who know they haven't lived life like they should. You know, you exclude bad people with this view because of what they've done, but the gospel says it's not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus has done. So good people are in, bad people are in. Anyone who says, I fall short, I need someone to do all this for me, I cannot live life like it's supposed to be lived, anyone can be saved, and that's open-minded and it's inclusive. Isn't that what we long for? Listen, I'll wind it down. I know I've gotten wind up. He's gotten wound up up there. His hair's not messed up yet. We're getting there. Look, we need to seek to have this conversation with people. We don't need to be afraid of this. We don't need to be arrogant and prideful, but we don't need to be afraid. People keep asking me, are you afraid that your child is going off to college? I want to say, why don't you go ask the secular humanists if they're afraid that we're sending children out of this church that believe the gospel and have their identity rooted in, the, in Christ and his work alone. <laughs> why don't we worry about that? I feel like we don't seek to have this conversation with people, maybe because we're afraid. Maybe we don't know how. This sermon has at least equipped you. It'll be online. The outreach team has plans. To, to have seminars, to have retreats, to help you learn to think and to talk to the people around us. I would want to commend the women's ministry. What you're doing in Sisters in Christ and the conversations that you're having there are excellent, equipping us to talk to people. But I fear there might be something else going on. Let me, let me just show you verses 18 through 20. Look what happens to these guys. Verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you think that's going to work? <laughs> They're not afraid of these guys, are they? They're not afraid to die. I don't think that's going to work. But they called them in and command them not to preach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than men, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. You hear what they're saying? People who have experienced this, 
People who are, as it said, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. People who have had that shift in trusting in their own record to trusting in the finished work of Christ. People who have experienced God in this way can't help speaking about it. Do you speak about it? People who know God in this way make him known. People who walk with Jesus and build their lives on him and experience this shift where they find their identity can't help speaking about it. And if you're not speaking about it, then maybe you haven't really shifted from trusting in your own performance to trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Is that really your hope? Listen, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying if it's true that people who know God make him known and you're not speaking about these things, maybe you need to get to know God better. Maybe you can't tell the story because you haven't really experienced the story. Because when we know God and we experience these things, what the scripture is saying here is that we can't help talking about these things. In Luke 6 and verse 45, Jesus said, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Think about what you speak about, what you talk about. Jesus said that's an indication of of what's filling up your heart. What's full in your speech is, is what's filled up in your heart. It's a good indication of what's going on in our hearts. May God be at work there in our hearts, transforming us, changing us to be conformed to the image of Christ, that his kingdom might grow, that we might be his ambassadors and witnesses of what he has done. First in our hearts and in our homes and in our church, and then what he can do in a culture in other people's hearts and homes. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Heavenly Father, (laughs) this is a hard claim to make in our culture. These are difficult things. Yet you are with us. As we make disciples, you are with us to the end of the age. And Father, these things are true. And they resonate in the hearts of people. Oh, we can see, Lord, how they long for your kingdom and they long for you. God, forgive us for the things that we do that keep people from hearing you and what you are like. Just, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would increase and that we would decrease. Come and do your work in us. I just pray that we would have an experience with you such that we can't help but talk about what you have done. Please come and do that in this place. No preacher can manufacture that. No program can make it happen. No session can do that. Only you working by your spirit using the word and and growing people up can make that happen. Please come and do it in this place. And please do it for your glory because you are worthy of honor and praise. Do it for the growth of your kingdom. Do it for us that we would experience you. Do it for our our state, our country, our culture so that they could experience the, the goodness and the sweetness of the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.